Part 2 Episode 8 No one was more surprised than B with how easily and wholeheartedly she became a mother. Not just to Jaya each, but to all of us in the Jaya. She clearly remembers the moment her transformation occurred. She was surrounded by a horde of one to three-year-olds and the noise of our din didn't grate on her anymore or make her feel like her head would explode. Instead, she laughed and carried on laughing. We crawled over her, held her hand, wiped our snot on her, threw up on her, brought her toys and books to read to us, curled up and slept on her. She sang and cooed to us. She saw the world through our wide eyes and didn't think about anything else. When more Jaya babies came along, she was there as a birthing partner and cried as each new pair of eyes met hers. Kid Jaya was the last child of our generation. By then, most of us had left the nursery and were now absorbed in learning all about Triton. Jaya Each, being the eldest, was already poring over blueprints of how the city was constructed. The rest of us were soaking up all aspects of life on our floating island. It wasn't long before we became the oceanographers, chemical engineers, civil engineers, marine biologists, astrophysicists, evolutionary biologists and food technologists who ran the Triton Research Facility and led all future research and development projects. As we took control of Triton, B felt us pull away, gather in our own groups and talk in quiet voices. We became secretive and dismissive. We were starting to become the Jaya. She poured every last drop of the mother love she had left into Kid Jaya. She wanted to hold on to him for as long as she could. She wanted to keep him as a child forever. She knew we shunned him because of it. We pushed him away, rejected him like a cub who spent too much time with humans. He was always trailing behind us. We never waited for him to catch up. We never waited. We never waited. We gather in the lower deck, then enter the airlock and take our seats on the benches. We press our backs against the wall, initiate the door release mechanism and wait. We adopted elaborate rituals to appease the ocean kami, the spirit jinn of the sea. Slow and slowed and deep beneath, half human, half awake, half asleep. We wait and hold fast. The tanks fill quickly. Water rises fast and we are flooded. We have you now, the ocean cries. Ice-like spikes stab our stomachs and spines. We squash the panic rising in our trembling chests and begin our babble of the sea to ward off the drowned and lingering lost souls, to remember Kid Jaya and protect us against his fate. We use our breath to bless our whisper. And of this time I tell of tales, of tales told over the sea, and on which ocean this planet bobs, this bobbing babble we see folk speak, tired of land we lost to be, and be beyond and old and old, still commend the south and east, mending wise the west beneath.
The water rises above our chests to neck and chain their mouthpiece in. in. We rinse our masks, then swill them out. We close our eyes and quickly finish our prayers. Beneath, Beneath the hidden depths, depths we bow and blunder. We often sought beyond and yonder. Thou cast upon the falling plunder. Who whipped up this blackening storm? We pray we'll rise again before the dawn is torn asunder. We're all at once and all at sea. We tread, we tread not, not, dread not carefully. Thou tremble past our cast out nests. We pray you catch the swell and see. And we will sing the siren's call to bring you to us on that. And with that, the hatch door opens and we are free. We all give the okay and swim out one by one. Last one out taps the keypad to drain the chamber and close the hatch door. We swim, not straight to the surface. We take our time, slowly flick our flippered feet, barrel turn, crisscross and weave in and out. Then we all turn as one shoal and slowly head up to break the surface. But who'll crack the eggshell first? It's our game of dare, even after the tragic loss of losing one of our own. Kid Jaya, we still play the game of who can stay under the longest. When the summer rains came, the river that had always been a babbling brook became a raging torrent that swept away the field crops and flooded the village further down the valley. They drove the Land Rover with the dinghy on a trailer away from the farm as far as they could till the road disappeared into the newly formed lake. Below them, in the distance, they could see rooftops and treetops sticking out of the rippling black water. They had backpacks and medical supplies, thermal blankets and energy bars. Thick cloud blocked out the moon and stars. The only light in the sky was the sweeping searchlight of the helicopter. There were no words. They all knew what they had to do, and speaking would only have trivialized the event. They pushed the inflatable dinghy into the flood water and jumped on board. When they hit a shallow patch, a slight raise or a hill, Jay jumped out, took up the rope and dragged them along till the water got deep again and the dinghy could be paddled. They went over one final hill and began to drop into the deeper flooding. They were soon in the lake that stretched as far as the eye could see. Their oars weren't even close to touching the bottom. The rain eased off a little as they paddled slowly towards the rooftop sticking out of the water. Then they stopped paddling and waited. The flood water gently rocked the dinghy. The wind was cold against their eyes. They called out and listened but heard nothing, so they paddled ahead slowly, straining to hear. Then Jay heard it, a cry from somewhere. He heard it again. Where? they said. They'd heard nothing. Over there! Jay pointed to one of the houses with flood water all the way up to the second floor windows. The helicopter was now getting too close to hear anything. Before they knew what was happening, Jay was over the side and away. They tried to shout above the noise of the helicopter, but the helicopter thought they were waving for it to come closer. The downdraft created widening circles of waves in the water. Two of the boat crew paddled faster, trying to follow the general direction they'd seen Jay set off in. Jay felt a sudden warm current of water sweep him along effortlessly. We felt it too. 
We thought at first it was coming from him. His vast bulk was generating its own warm current in the cold flood water. He swam so easily he reached the house in no time. He peered through the upstairs window and saw movement. He could hear people on the inside shouting. He waved back at them and shouted, I'm coming in! He dived down and tried to open the window but couldn't shift it. He came up for air and looked at the window again. He saw a woman and her two kids in the water, clinging on to the edge of a wardrobe. He dived down again and he smashed the window, then he swam through the shattered glass and came up inside the room. He didn't realise the broken glass had slashed his arm and cut a slice out of his back. His bald head surfaced right next to the woman. She looked terrified and ecstatic at the same time. He smiled at her and her two shivering kids. Don't worry, he said, breathing heavily. I'll get you out. There's a dinghy and a helicopter on its way. The woman laughed and then started crying. The two kids, a boy and a girl, looked at each other, not really knowing what was going on. Can you swim down, he said. We can get out through the window. The woman looked at her two kids' terrified faces. I don't think so. I'm sorry, we didn't know what to do. The water came so quickly, we ran upstairs thinking we'd be safe, but it just kept coming. It's okay, Jay said, and his smile made her feel safe. He swam over to the window and kicked at it and kicked it again until the whole frame and some of the brickwork crashed into the water, leaving a gaping hole in the bedroom wall. He gave the kids a smile and a wink. I'll get you up on the roof and then we'll get the boat over to you. He held out his arm to the girl clinging to the edge of the wardrobe. Okay, you first. She shook her head vigorously. He held his hand out to the boy. The boy shook his head as well. No, Jay said. Okay. How about you, Mum? She was willing, but the kids both screamed at her to not leave them. Jay laughed. Okay, how about all of you then? He turned and gestured for the woman to get on his back. She hesitated, but then let go of the wardrobe and wrapped her arms tightly round Jay's neck. He picked up the girl with one hand, then paddled round for the boy. They all clung on to Jay wherever they could. He began making his way to the hole in the wall where the window had been. He didn't feel the blood draining from him, or the warm current slowly seeping away. He got them all to hang onto the side of the house while he found a foothold to get on the roof. Once up, he lay himself flat and stretched down to pick the boy up first, then the girl, then mum. They were all sat up on the roof before they really knew what was happening. Jay sat with them for a moment, catching his breath. He was thinking how beautiful it looked, the rippling black water stretching out as far as he could see, treetops breaking the surface here and there. He took off his backpack and passed it to the woman. I'll go and get the boat. There's a thermal blanket in there and some energy bars. She suddenly realised what he meant. No, don't leave us, she pleaded. Jay held her hand. Don't worry, I'll get the dinghy and get you out of here. I'll be back in no time. He lowered himself off the roof and dropped back into the water. As he swam away from the house and into the huge blackness before him, he realised he couldn't see the dinghy. He looked up and couldn't see or hear the helicopter. He swam on and began to feel a cut on his arm open up. He felt the slice down his back weep out warm blood. It was numb and stinging at the same time. 
As he swam, he lost all sense of near and far and up and down. He heard voices. We called out to him, but weren't sure he could hear us. The voices he could hear weren't ours. The words were full of things he knew but couldn't remember. We began to chant over and over, telling him how we swim in the oceans well, how we remember all those who've gone before us. We began to sing, and he heard our song. He heard his mother, Julie, singing on stage, singing just for him, singing to him as a baby. His thoughts began to drift apart like seaweed disentangling itself in the waves. He couldn't surrender. He turned, started swimming back towards the house, but the warm current that had carried him along so easily suddenly switched direction and swept him away. The water cannon had become impatient and had lashed out. The cold set like concrete around his arms and legs. He'd lost too much blood. He was sinking fast. Our hearts cried out. Not like this. We were so close, but now the cold closed in until he could no longer swim. He was gripped by a cold so comforting it was easier to give in. He sank down and kept on sinking. We couldn't reach him. We had to let him go. He sank like Kid Jaya. When the woman and her two kids were eventually rescued from the roof of their house, she wanted to find the man who'd appeared out of nowhere. The man who'd risen up out of the water like a great landmass, like an island of calm. She wanted to find the great hulk of a man who carried her and her two kids to safety. The man who'd given her his thermal blanket, who'd given her kids energy bars, who'd given them all hope. She wanted to find him and thank him personally, but by then it was too late, he'd already drowned. Two weeks later, the work to build Triton was finished and the Corps moved out to the Pacific and never went back. End of part two.